The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. I chose a different route. I went with a, a themed car that looked like a steam locomotive, and I really believed that our job was we're an exhibition class, and that's to entertain people. Hopefully put, put some smiles on people's faces, and big burner pops, big fire. Performance isn't quite as, as good. That's why I finally built my second car. I got tired of getting whooped by all these other guys and said, heck with it, I'll just go run, you know, run against myself. Welcome. It's a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's always about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities and others in the car industry. I'm Randy Cardoon. Thanks for joining us. This week, we combine Talking About Cars with drag racing jet cars. That's right. Some of them even look like trains. Casey's team uses jets to power not only drag racing engines that look like small locomotives, but also tractor-trailer trucks powered by jet engines. But before we get to that, it's time for Talking About Cars News! A 49-year-old man is being sought in Detroit for stealing vehicles in and around the city. The man's name, I kid you not, is Henry Ford. Thank you. Seems old Henry Ford was on parole, but decided he wanted out earlier than he was scheduled to be. So he was out and about. Sheriff's deputy in the area quoted as saying, Henry Ford wanted for robbing cars. Come on, man. It doesn't make sense. This guy's a thief. He's been a thief his whole life. He went to prison for being a thief. Now he's back out. He was on parole, still continuing to be a thief. Unquote. Oh, one other thing. They found some evidence of stolen property on Henry Ford's truck. Take a wild guess what kind of truck it was. Did you say a Ford truck? Of course it was. Proves he's loyal to his family name, at least. And to the best of our knowledge, this Henry Ford is not related to that Henry Ford, as if you know what I'm talking about, Henry Ford. Now... Ken Charles Jones grew up in the San Fernando Valley, taking in all of the cool hot rod drag strips of the area, San Fernando Valley, Speedway, Lions Drag Strip, eventually running his own cars on that racetrack. Now he runs jet cars. Recently, Hot Rod Bob Beck and I caught up with KC at the LAPD, LA Fire Department Saving Lives car show, oddly enough, in the San Fernando Valley, where KC gave us his car story. Well, the jet truck is, is like the one and only cab over Peterbilt ever built uh, with a jet engine in it. So it's pretty bad to the bone. It's got really a cool story to it, being that this family, the McClure family, built this thing 37 years ago, like 81, 82. 
uh, they were pretty instrumental even in the very early days of John Force and Louis Force and stuff. They uh, where I had a big truck uh, body shop and, and frame straightening shop in Montebello, California, and and did a lot of work. Uh, helped Louis uh, paint up his first rig and stuff. So that was their introduction into drag racing and stuff. Where did that idea for the for the jet truck come from? I, I'm pretty sure it was probably from their son, Jess McClure. You know, I mean, with the influence of drag racing, with the forces being right there and stuff, you know, it was the type of deal where um, at the time the jet trucks were a whole brand new thing, being that they um, worked on, on big rigs, it was kind of a no-brainer to to show off their capabilities of what they can do with the custom paint and the body, and uh, what more of a spectacular thing to do than to put a jet engine on the back of a cab over Peterbilt. Now you've been racing jet cars or jet dragsters for quite a long time. I got involved, you know, I was a fuel car guy. I was lucky enough to grow up in Van Nuys, California, and, and my brother went to school with Dale Poldy, and I've been around drag racing my whole life. My brother started taking me to drags in the, in the mid-60s, went to San Fernando as just a little guy, and uh, as fate would have it, I had a professional drag racer moving across the street from me when I was 12 years old. Uh, Dennis Geisler with the Instant T Fuel Altered moved in, and my mom, you know, knew I was a little gearhead, and, and she put a boot in my butt and pushed me across the street, and I was a shy, tall, lanky kid with, believe it or not, I had hair back then. And, uh, you know, Dennis was a good guy. He opened up his, his door, his heart, and his family to me and, and took me in, and, and I raced with Dennis for almost 15 years. He uh, taught me the glass business. Uh, I was uh, a little flaky in school and struggled in high school, and he offered me a, an opportunity to work in the glass and mirror business, learning a trade. Uh, which was huge, um, but drag racer was my was my deal. I was lucky enough to when I left John, or, uh, Dennis, I went to work for Forrest in '82, and we were working um, on on um, you know uh, I toured with him, but I got introduced to the jet cars in the early '80s, and and it was a a vehicle that I could see that I could afford to get into. Uh, I've been around fuel cars my whole life, and it worked with really good equipment. And I didn't not to put anybody down but I didn't want to just be a, a leaker car and run a lot of hand-me-down parts and uh, that's a heck of a way to put it I guess not a very nice thing to say but when you've been a, 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 you know exposed to high-end high, -end, high nice equipment it you know I, I didn't want to go that route and, and I couldn't afford it what was it like working for John Force back in the day Man, you know, John. Same guy? Same guy, really. You know, <laughs> he, it's just a lot harder to get his time these days. But John was great. I mean, that was a dream come true. He was a hero. I'd known John from the early 70s, mid 70s. Uh, Dennis had actually helped him a couple times. I went up to Bakersfield and I was kind of dragging along. And, uh, you know, John was just John. I mean, uh, very inspiring. You know, he was really into talking about mental strength and positive thinking and, and, and focusing on your goals. And, and I, you know, I thanked him, you know, last time I really got a chance to visit with him after I'd become pretty successful with the jet cars and thanked him for that, that inspiration and guidance to really pursue my dream because it's guys like him that, that do help people up and coming. And hopefully we can all be an inspiration to people like that. Now he, his brother, Louie, was doing wheel standing stuff back then. Yeah, Louie, well, you know, we got to be really pretty close and stuff because about the time I really got my jet car career going, Louie was really coming up with the diesel Louie, uh, little Kenworth uh, pickup truck, wheel stander. Yep. And we ran shows together on the AHRE circuit out there at Palmdale and stuff. And, and uh, you know, Louie's just a hoot. He's just so much fun to be around. I, I, My first trip to Gainesville 
was just huge. I got to ride with Louie in the HB Gold trailer and, and driving. He was in the, with old, one of those old Browning stick shift transmissions that any of the old truckers would know. It's a double sticker, and I mean, it's an art form to drive a truck like that. And watching him hang his arm over the steering wheel and drive this thing was just, just a kick in the butt. It was pretty cool. Wow. And so your next step was uh, drag racing then, right? Well, I got, you know, I, I, like I said, worked on fuel cars forever. I wanted to drive. I'm, you know, at this point in time, I'm getting into my early 20s, 21, 22 years old. And uh, I got the opportunity to work on some jets and saw the uh, opportunity to build my own car. We did that and uh, we ran it for a year or so in 1983. Things didn't work out quite right, so I went back, come home, back to work, and by, by 84, 85, I had my own trailer and truck and, and had my own car and, and started running. I was lucky enough my rookie year to win the Jet World Finals out of Palmdale, which was huge for me. You know, it was a hometown race, mom and dad, family, everybody. I was, you know, those are, those are wonderful moments. Where are you getting these jet motors from? I mean, what were they in before? This motor that we ran, the J34, was in a Navy plane called the Banshee. It was its most commonly found use. Made ton of them. They were, uh, you know, late 40s, early 50s, and developed clear through the, the late 50s into the early 60s. Good old dependable motors. Uh, it was really one of the, the, the main motors that were used in early jet car racing. And they're heavier, so once the guys started going to the lighter, faster cars, they didn't have the performance that uh, the 85s and the 60s, uh, the jet engines. But the show was second to none, and uh, I chose a different route. I went with the, a themed car that looked like a steam locomotive, and I really believed that our job was we're an exhibition class, and that's to entertain people. Hopefully put, put some smiles on people's faces, and big burner pops, big fire. Performance isn't quite as, as good. That's why I finally built my second car. I got tired of getting whooped by all these other guys and said, heck with it, I'll just go run, you know, run against myself. I'm fascinated, though, with the idea of putting a, you know, a jet in a truck or a jet in a car. I mean, who would come up with that and under the circumstances? Art Arfonts. Well, that's true. The Green Monster back in the day. And, yeah, I mean, was that what really kicked it off, you think? Oh, absolutely. These guys, you know, I mean, Romeo Palominis and, and the, the Arfonts family, obviously, and then Breedloves. And then, you know, the, Roger Gustin really jumped on that bag, bandwagon in the early days. He was very instrumental in getting jets because they were out, outlawed for a number of years, just like the fuel band was. Uh, with NHRA at one point. He was very instrumental in opening the door back up to NHRA and getting Jets back in uh, their good grace, you know, and uh, the rest is history, as they say. You know, we were very fortunate to get to do, you know, growing up in the, in the 60s and 70s and watching all the guys tour from coast to coast back in the day when these guys run 60, 70 shows. You know, you hear about Jungle Jim running 70 or 80 shows in one season. You know, by the time the early 80s, mid 80s, and especially into the 90s come along, there's very few people that could afford to buy in fuel cars. And so what else makes a lot of noise, puts out a lot of fire? The jet car really filled that bill around the country to, uh, um, you know, to be able to offer an affordable show to the track operators so they can afford to bring in some people and, and hopefully, you know, fill the stands, put a lot of butts in the seats and make it happen. So we kind of filled that bill. And uh, it was good for us. We really, uh, you know, we were able to do it for many years. We ran 25-plus years touring all around the country. Mm. All right. And you're, you're, you did a show, like you, like you were saying. You were doing a show. You had a smokestack on your car and everything. You had the cow catcher up front. Yours looked like a, bitty, a little bitty train. 
Well, that was the whole idea, you know, and uh, we we felt it was important. And once we built the second car, the thing really had come full circle. We built the second uh, steam locomotive-themed car. We uh, named it the Chattanooga Choo Choo. It looked very much like Thomas the Tank Train. That was totally by accident. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the kids loved it. And without even knowing my car, the Cannonball, once I'd repainted it with its black and red theme, uh, it really uh, emulated a uh, another cartoon train. Thomas, uh, you know, had a friend with James, okay? So, you know, we, we just found a really cool niche to where we can offer ourselves up to family entertainment. Plus, well, you know, the, the older kids, you know, there are a lot of drag racers are really fond of jets in some ways, but it was amazing when we towed back, we'd always see them walking back from the fences. They'd sneak over and watch us do our thing and stuff too. Mm -hmm. We really prided ourselves on our show, so we really tried to create a theatrical, if you will, experience with our burner pops we would take and uh, do a chugga chugga type of thing, you know, where we'd start off and bounce back and forth and people just loved that. It was just a, a really cool show. I finally got to watch my cars run for the first time. I was always in the other car, so about the last two years of uh, having our cars, I had stepped down and had a full-time driver uh, in my other car. And when I first got down there and watched this whole show go off, you stand down there at the big end and listen to this whole Chuck Chuck thing, it really sounded like a just a bad-to-the-bone old steam locomotive getting cranked up. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Well, we talk a little bit about as well the crazy train and, and that whole history of that. And we were kind of saying on the stage here at uh, Warner Center Park is that it kind of reminded us all of a pedal car. Well, and that was the inspiration behind it. I literally had a little pedal car that I got from Santa Claus. In, in 1961, I was about three years old, and it turns out those are actually collector's items. They're pretty cool. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I got to thinking. I'd driven a car called the Wheelie Wagon, and we had outfitted our trailer for all three cars to go in that one rig. And the only way it would work is having an open-wheel concept car. You know, with the Wheelie Wagon, it was just all four wheels were exposed, and it was just a little tub. So, I mean, I, got to, I wanted to build another car fit in the trailer. And couldn't come up with that. Why don't I build my little choo-choo pedal car? You know, so that was the whole idea behind it. And, and people really love it. It's just different enough, unique, and uh, just trying to do something uh, that really fit to our whole, you know, gimmick. Mm -hmm. Well, a name like Casey Jones, man, you got to have steam locomotives, right? What else say, are you going to do? Sounds like you're attached somehow. <laughs> you know, I mean, my dad was a huge train buff. His name was Robert Richard Jones, but all of his buddy called old Railroad Jones, R.R. Jones. And when they named me, my real proper name is Kenneth Charles. My mom always used to joke and say, you know, we'll, uh, we'll give you Kenneth just in case you ever amount to anything really important where you need a proper name. So <laughs> you, you see what we're still running with here. You know, we go with the whole Casey Jones thing and it's fun and, and feel very blessed. You know, we've, uh, you know, I still get fan mail and it's just uh, very flattering to think, you know, uh, we, we weren't ready to quit, but like I said, I think the good Lord had a different plan for us and stuff. And who knows what will happen down the road. None of us do, obviously. But, uh, you know, we might we still talk and entertain the idea of rebuilding the train someday and stuff, and, and I would love to. Well, and, of course, for those who have never seen it, we'll take a picture of it and show it online. But uh, you have – it has uh, – it lo really looks like it's got the grass catcher up front. It looks like it's got coal in the back, the whole thing. I mean, you really have it dressed up. Well, thank you. I mean, that was, you know, uh, we even tried to figure out how to put smoke out of the smokestack. We finally figured out I actually got an, uh, one of those little fog machines from a, from a party city that they have for, uh, for Halloween and, and uh, rock concerts. And I gutted the thing and put all the innards in there. And uh -huh. we've got, we put a little fog smoke oil in, the, in there yeah, and it yeah. heats it up and puts smoke out. And I figured if you're going to have a, 
you know, uh, a big block Chevy sitting behind you. I figured we'll create a coal car so we may look like the motor's sitting there. You know, everybody's always talking about hauling coal, you know, hauling buns and stuff. So we did that, and, yeah, it worked out really well. So tell us a little bit. Let's go back to your first. We talked a little bit about the pedal car. or We'll go move fast forward a little bit. What was your first car? My first car was actually a Volkswagen, man. I was, uh, you know. Uh, I, I didn't see a, that coming. <laughs> yeah. I had a hand-me-down 68 Volkswagen. I worked for a guy that looking back, I was just another huge, you know, it's amazing the people come in your life in your young younger years. And there was a fellow by the name of Al Kadrobi who I didn't recognize it at the time, was one of the baddest Volkswagen dudes around. He built all the off-road racing transmissions for modern motors and Sandmasters and, and was really, really sharp and a, a master Porsche mechanic. And uh, so I started ripping apart transmissions during the summer, you know, uh, just as, uh, plus he had three beautiful daughters, you know, so that was a, you know, <laughs> kind of like a, a, a moth attracted to the fire there type mm-hmm. of thing but uh I get he it. was he was a good guy and he and he taught me a trade working on I me mean, i was always a gearhead and and he taught me how to rebuild these things started off by he would bring in truckloads of transmissions that he'd get from around the country and all i would do all day long five days a week is tear these things apart and sort the gears and clean the cases and then after about three or four months of that i said okay let's reverse this process here we'll start teaching you how to rebuild so i started doing a lot of street rebuilds and stuff and huge influence on my life you know and and uh so i mean uh yeah that's how the first volkswagen became the first car and i traded it for a 70 no if i finally got wise and said okay i had a buddy of mine that had a big block chevy ss 396 car uh, 1970 but it had a rod knock and so what do i do i took just a bad to the mold really brand new motor transmission custom interior volkswagen trade across for a blown up big block chevy nova seemed to make sense when you're 17 years old yeah why not <laughs> so, <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time oh, yeah. or horsepower what the heck there yeah, you go exactly exactly so of all the cars you've had i always loved asking uh what's the one car you no longer have that you wish you could have back probably that nova that yeah. was that was a cool car it really was looking back it's worth a lot of money these days uh, I rebuilt it on it. My, my parents, God bless them, gave me $170 for my 17th birthday, $10 per year. And I was able to, uh, you know, uh, just basically turn that one crank journal down 10 under and, and freshen up the motor. I went over to uh, Larry Starkey, Starkey's Porting Service, and he hooked me up with some, some battered bone. It had the hypo heads, but he gave me a set of uh, Miley poured and polished heads and tuned me up with a nice LA 88 cam and put that thing together. It was a four-speed car, so it was just a kick in the butt to drive. And uh, once I got my license suspended for too many exhibitions of speed and stuff, <laughs> and old Geisler was, you know, trying to get me to be a glass man. He actually, true story, he went down to DMV and had to sign, and they offered, they gave me a limited license from 7 o'clock to 7 uh, in the evening to drive so I could at least keep my job. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so what happened to the car? Man, I'm almost ashamed. I traded it off for a motorcycle. You know, it was just one of those deals. Were you still 18? Yeah, I was about 18, <laughs> 18 and a half. It just, I wanted a bike really bad at this guy. Okay. It, it was it was having some issues and stuff, and I'd gotten into so much trouble. Yeah. Parents were threatening to sell it out from underneath ah, me type of deal. Okay. And, you know, it just, uh, it, it, it had run its course. I got in a lot of trouble with that car. Okay. You know. But it's what made me get off of the streets and, and turn to, you know, and I've been exposed to professional racing my whole life. But, you know, you go through these phases of hanging out. You know, when you got Van Nuys Boulevard in your backyard and hanging out behind the B of A building and you got Bob Brandt coming into town and Bottle Bob with his bad to the bone Corvette and everybody trailering the stuff in, you know, you go through this phase until you get into a lot of trouble. 
You had mentioned, or at least we had heard, that you're doing a Netflix thing. What's that all about, and uh, how did that come about? Well, you know, it's it's really cool. This this truck has such a storied history, and with David, the tractor the, with the jet in the, the back, with, yeah, yeah, the Peterbilt White Cloud, and, and that's what you know has brought us full circle back to Southern California. This truck uh, was built by the McClure family. And once David relocated, it's 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 like a family heirloom. This thing has so much personal meaning to the family. And, and David has uh, done really well for himself, and he hired a zero to 60 to rebuild this truck and from a beautiful ground, uh, you know, up, ground up restoration on it. They got this idea to document it all. So it's turned into a, a documentary, and they're marketing this thing, and it, I think it's going to be a really cool deal. So, I mean, I'm thrilled to be a part of this. They've interviewed us. I mean, because we've had – I was around when this thing was originally built, got to drive it 10 years later, which was 27 years ago, so I have had a pretty good – part in in the history of this truck mm-hmm. and and here we are all these years later going here's third time's the charm baby that's what we're doing oh that's pretty awesome that is pretty cool okay so you've seen that there have been other diesel looking trucks with jets on them when they make them now do they cut corners do you see that you know are they better than before are they better than old school i mean what what have you seen you know that's a really cool question because i mean bottom line bob moats was the first the biggest and the baddest and by today's standards he's still the first obviously but still the biggest and the baddest in my book he's got that j79 there's other trucks that have been built with the 79 but see bob went to school under the arfons so he was hanging around when they were running these things out on the salt flats and has a huge amount of knowledge. He's probably, you know, forgotten more than any of us ever know on these things. So he, he raised the bar pretty high. You know, and then Les Shockley, obviously, with the Shockwave, that was the motors that I run in my jet car. So I was right up my alley with three engines, and he built that to, to go toe-to-toe with Bob Motes. And uh, two of the biggest and baddest trucks in the business. You know, I think we can, you know, rival that to a certain degree. You know, the bottom line deal is, though, they, they raised the bar pretty high for us, and I think we're, we're going to take this in a different direction. There's a lot of rules, a lot of things to adhere to to run NHRA. I've talked. Thank goodness I got a lot of good rapport with a lot of different track operators, and it's not always. It's kind of back to the same theory that I've had with my jet trains. It's not always about the performance. And a lot of this is show. This truck, I'll put it second to none with the beauty and, and, the, uh, and the uniqueness of it. And I think we can take and go out there and, and accomplish an awful lot without having to go out there and try to run 200 miles an hour with it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of the mindset. But we're still up in the air. We're really kind of playing and trying to figure out exactly what direction we're going to take this whole program. Well, yeah, going back to Art Arfons, and Bob, you know certainly about this is um, – when they did this, was it more of an exhibition, or was it, I mean, they didn't have a division or a series for them. Well, NHRA at that one point in time had no limit on what engines you ran. You could run a jet engine, you could run a, a, a airplane engine. It was just engine-powered vehicles. Later on, they decided to change that, and it had to be automotive engines. And that's where it became an exhibition class or an exhibition race. And then Bernie Long John at LA County Raceway would put on the Jet World Finals every year where you would amass 15 to 16 jet cars coming out to compete against each other. That's incredible, though, just to think that many jet cars in one place in front of everybody like that. That was back mm-hmm. in the good old days for sure. You know, it's uh, it's scary when you see, 
you know, talking back about wheel standards, there's just not that many wheelie cars around. The jet cars are nowhere near the number of cars that used to be and stuff. And, and that, that, okay. that, you know, kind of puts fear into me because it's such a cool class. And, and uh, just a quick note on Bob's story about NHRA, uh, you know, as far as what kind of motors and the limit of motors, um, I was at the Jet Rules meeting when Shockley had first come out with the triple engine truck, and everybody was freaking out about, like, oh, my gosh, he's put three jet engines on the back of a truck. Are you kidding me? So uh, that was finally grandfathered in as the max mo amount of motors you could put on a jet. So thank you, Les Shockley. <laughs> I, I can't imagine people putting two on a, on a truck. Why three? Well, just look at the uh, Tommy Ivo mentality. If one's good, two's better, four will work great. And Les Shockley, unfortunately, we just lost him. We just him. lost Les, yeah. uh, But Les was an innovator. And just like most hot rodders were or people getting into drag racing, it was a highly innovative sport. There were no rules. There wasn't any – there were rules they started putting into place. But it was innovators, people coming up with ideas. You had sideways-mounted motors. You had the jet motors. They tried turbine engines. Yeah. Old Garlis did that. Craig Arpa, sure. Yeah, yeah. And really? rocket motors. Paula Murphy drove a rocket dragster. I mean, she was one of the first and one of the quickest ladies on wheels. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's – NHRA was based on, on ingenuity. Jets of the era that you have on your first truck, uh, are they using recent jets? Are they coming off of planes? Are they coming off of uh, – where are those jets of, that will be used nowadays coming from? Are they old? Well, the, the, old the kick butt modern-day jet car, most all of them are all running a, a J85, a General Electric J85. That motor was produced clear back in the late 50s, early 60s. Now, they still are currently produced, uh, and they fly in a little uh, – uh, T-38s, uh, I believe it is. You see what the astronauts used to buzz around in a little twin engine? That's a J-85 in there. Okay. And the, the Starliner, I think, is where the, the, the Pratt & Whitney J-60 came out of and stuff. But all this stuff is still 60s technology. Right. You know? And uh, and, and to be real, I mean, everybody always walks up and says, hey, you got an F-15 motor in that? Mm, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I don't think any of us have an extra couple mils sitting around if you, if you found one decommissioned. Yeah. They make so much power without afterburn. You could never stage them, honestly. You know, I mean, you run them up to full power they make as much power without the afterburners what our motors do See, with afterburner it always strikes me as the newer jets could you actually take those engines and put them on a vehicle you could but you have to have the money well yeah and that's and the it, thing and these are all surplus basically or or engines that are no longer right. used on a regular basis and then once 9-11 happened it really made it tough to get parts and pieces because almost everything that is comes out of the military they they, mm. they, they destroy it literally to make it you know, uh, you know, unsuitable to be able to ever run again and stuff. I mean, we used to run the ring slot parachutes, and and uh, they started just tearing those up. I mean, there'd be you know thousands of these things, you know, and they they literally cut them up so that people, some knucklehead, can't get a hold of it and jump off the Empire State Building and, and go <laughs> bungee jumping. Not or that you want people to call. haven't already tried. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some even without the parachute. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Okay, so looking ahead, vehicles, top three vehicles on your list that I, you want someday, on your must-have list, if you uh, had your choice. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very partial. I love my jet trains. I would love to be in a position to, to rebuild them and, and re recreate that act. You know, um, 
I don't know. You know, time will tell. A lot of people wanted us to do it. We don't have the means to do it. You know, it, it, it took us 30 years to get to the level we were at. We were very fortunate to have a beautiful truck and trailer and two race cars and a ton of parts. And, you know, the one thing that I was always grateful about what we did with our jet train, you know, uh, trains, I did all my own stuff. And I'm not trying to be, you know, bragging or whatever have you, but, I mean, a lot of these guys don't have the knowledge and they have to hire out people to help build their cars and help fix their motors when they need and stuff like that and that limits the field a bunch because we're an exhibition class so the last thing the guys want to do is help fix what could potentially be a competitor who's trying to go after the same same race dates that i'm going now you end up hiring your own assassin in some ways so you got to be careful do you sense in the NHRA there is some interest or appetite to bring some of these jet cars back? You know, they have. They've shown a big interest. Uh, NHRA has brought the jets back in the fold here in the last 10 years or so, and, and I applaud them. I think it's great. I've been fortunate enough to be involved with some NHRA meetings, jet car rules meetings and stuff, and they've had the marketing people come out there showing interest to uh, bring jets to national events. You know, I'm going to sound like sour grapes. They've asked me many times to run my cars. I, I cannot and would not run them for free. And NHRA just has a policy where they won't pay the exhibition cars to come out. And uh, I, I see both sides of the fence here. But I believe that we, we bring, you know, a whole new possible audience out to their events. I think we can enhance national events. I think it kind of gets back to what old school drag racing used to be like. We were lucky enough to watch you know, donor out at Orange County and Irwindale and Steve Evans and, and, you know, they used to call them circus shows or circus acts. Well, hello, I'm proud to be a part of that. You know, we all brought something to the table. I mean, Perdome always preached that he had race cars. He's not as part of a circus. And he's right. He was a very competitive and bad to the bone racer. But, you know, uh, Bob Carell on the you know, kite cycle offered up really good entertainment and he would hopefully bring people into a drag race that would not normally go to a drag race and i think jet cars and wheel standards offer that same you know uh, allure you know to try to hook people to come in and make new fans casey jones of team steam you can find out more about him and his jet racers at caseyjonesracing.com hey thanks for listening and please share our show on social media subscribe it's absolutely free leave a comment and if you're on itunes rate us and review us thanks in advance for helping our podcast grow our website is talkingaboutcars.net where i include some extra behind the scenes flavor to the interviews and make sure you're following us on social media on facebook twitter which is talk n the letter n about cars and on instagram don't forget join bob and myself on his show got gas g-a-a-s you can get that at gotgas.com also on facebook uh, let's see, that would be the second Tuesday of the month. You can follow Bob on his social media as well. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.